This episode of Market Foolery is supported by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, today at netsuite.com fool. It's Wednesday, November 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and I am joined in studio by Motley Fool analyst Emily Flippin and Tim Byers. Tim, joining us from Motley Fool, Colorado. Welcome. Thanks, Mac. Hey. How you doing, Emily? All right. Good, good. Well, we got lots to talk about. We've got Google checking accounts. Yes, I said Google checking accounts. Are you signing up for that? Are you interested? Oh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I have okay. some strong thoughts. Okay. And I've got some impossible, capital I, news from Burger King. See what I did there? Yes, I, I, I like that. Ah, okay. Well done. Well, well done. But let's begin with yesterday's big story. Disney's streaming service is officially here. Disney Plus launched on Tuesday. $6.99 a month gives you Disney Plus $12.99 a month for the bundle that also includes Hulu and ESPN+. I was so excited, I confess, that I signed up first thing Tuesday morning. Yeah, there are some glitches, some growing pains, but loads of content. When you sign up, the first thing you see on the screen is this rotating carousel of content, and then you see five brands listed right below it, from left to right, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, National Geographic. Tim, it's game on. It is game on, but I have to say this is the most this is the most anticipated disappointment of 2019. Really? Really. And and here's How why so? here's why I say this. It's because of the pricing. I mean, this is an amazing service. I'm very bullish on Disney Plus as a service. Six ninety nine a month? It was six ninety nine a month gets you just Disney Plus. If you go to twelve ninety nine, that gets you ESPN Plus and that also gets you Hulu, but it gets you Hulu with ads. So if you have to take if you want, and I think everybody wants this, if you want Hulu, you want it without ads. If you want it without ads, you're going to pay $18.99. If you're paying $18.99 a month, you are getting the same, you're actually paying more than you're paying for either base Netflix at $12.99, or if you have multiple TVs, Netflix at 4K, you're paying $17.99. So I had originally thought that the pricing for Disney Plus was a real game changer. I thought it was the catalyst, and I thought that could actually hurt Netflix. I no longer believe that. I think this is a an, an interesting play, but it does nothing at all to hurt Netflix. Okay, but to be clear, you are comparing the bundle and the value proposition yes. there of the of the bundle yes. that includes Disney Plus, yes. Hulu, ESPN Plus. You're Absolutely. comparing that to Netflix. Disney Plus is still six ninety nine a month. I mean, that doesn't get you interested. It gets me interested. It just does not tell me that this is a this is a disruptor. I can't see this as as a disruptor in any way. And here's the thing: Disney Plus still you has cannot a, see this. No, not let, at all. Let me, let me let me hit you with five words again: all Disney. Right. Pixar, Marvel, <laughs> actually more than five words, Star Wars and National Geographic. Yeah, I mean, and those are great brands. But if I go around, if, if I go around the, the world, you know, and Disney Plus is going to launch around the world just the way Netflix has, they're going to take this a, a country at a time and they will get to the point where they, they become as, pre, as omnipresent as Netflix is today. But it's going to take them some time to do that. Remember that right now, Largely, Disney Plus is exporting American content to other countries. That is not Netflix's strategy. Netflix does have content that is 
designed specifically in country for many different countries around the world. They spend a lot of of dollars doing this. They get a lot of expertise to do this. Netflix has seeded the world in a way that we haven't seen before. And it's going to take a while for Disney to catch up to that. I love the idea. I love the content. But let's remember what this is. This is a largely American bundle that is going to try and go global. And it's going to take some time to do that. I would have thought it was going to go faster if there was a significant price advantage. But the only significant price advantage is if you're just comparing Disney Plus to Netflix overall. Maybe that's fair, but I think people signing up for this want all three. Okay. I really do. Okay, Tim Byers not feeling the magic. Not Emily, feeling it. Emily, what about you? I feel like it's compelling if you're already paying for one of these services. And so I, I'm not going to say it's going to disrupt Netflix, because I agree with Tim. I think that Netflix has, for a long time, had a very strong value proposition, and I think they'll continue to retain it. I think it could cause some pricing pressure. I think it does challenge Netflix a little bit more. They're no longer the only game in town. But Really, Mac, I'm I'm hung up on a couple of things here, and and the first one being, what did you say? It's it's Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars. Yeah, that National that's Geographic. where I'm stuck. Is Star Wars its own thing now? What do you think? National Geographic is, than is Star, Star Wars. Wars. Star Wars has been its own thing yeah, so, since it came out in the seventies. <laughs> maybe maybe I need to subscribe to Disney Plus <laughs> just so I can apparently watch the boatload of content that is apparently associated with Star Wars that oh, I never incredible. knew about. Oh yeah, you've got the movies and you've got spinoffs. You've got all sorts of. things. Well, you've got a new original program in The Mandalorian. Yeah. Which wow. has which has gotten good reviews. Now I will say, I will say, and I'm I'm obviously more bullish on it than I think Tim is. I think that's a fair statement. Yes. I will say I was I was a bit disappointed because we've got a Samsung smart TV. Right. But apparently it's not that smart because <laughs> it does not support well, Disney Plus. It? And what's interesting is we watch Amazon on it and we yep. watch Netflix on it. So it's a few years old, um, but it's too old at least right now. For Disney Plus, so we're going to have to find a workaround. There are plenty of workarounds, but I was a little disappointed there. Well, don't you think that that is at, has less to do with your Samsung TV and more to do with Disney Plus? I mean, look, this is re- remember one of the key advantages of Netflix as and and we can go back say five years ago. It was Netflix was the only one that had a platform where you could say start. A video on your smartphone, yep. and go to your TV, and it would pick up exactly where you left they off. They meet you where you are. They're they met you where you were. And, and you know what? YouTube couldn't do that for a long time. Hulu couldn't do that for a long time. Amazon couldn't do that for a long time, and they finally caught up. So this feels like to me, this is a swing and a miss on on Disney's part. I wow! Don't, I really it's don't. It's a day old. But but you know what though. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and maybe I just have high expectations for Disney, but I do think this is one of those things where when you roll out a technical product, there are some really base things that you've got to do, and you have to do it right out the gate. And being able to be compatible on as many devices as possible is is really important. I don't think it's a huge miss from from Disney, but I do think it's a it, it, at, at minimum they fouled it off. Well, let's be nice here. Disney's not used to handling lots of people, lots of content, lots of IP. This is stuff that's completely new to Disney. Yeah, so, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm, it. I'm totally joking. <laughs> Disney should have been more prepared for this than they were. I, I want to read to you from a 1971 New York Times story. The Dateline, October. 1st, 1971. Walt Disney World, widely heralded as the new colossus of Florida tourism, opened today on a day that was perfect except for one thing. The $400 million attraction drew only a paper-thin crowd. That's 
How'd that work out for Disney World? It worked out pretty well, but I have, <laughs> but 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 I have to say, let's, let's two things there. Two things stand out. First, paper thin crowd for Walt Disney World. That's staggering. But even more staggering, can you imagine? You're like, what is four hundred million dollars in nineteen seventy one dollars, and just what is the return on investment in Walt Disney World in the years since? So I think what you know, the point there that I take is that there are some glitches here. I think the storyline has been that Disney Plus was going to do a lot of damage to Netflix. I am not buying that at all. But what I do buy— What about Disney Plus plus Hulu plus ESPN doing damage to Netflix? I don't buy that at all either. But what I do buy is over the long term, you now have Netflix and you have Disney Plus. I do believe that Disney figures this out. And I think you just have—you are now seeing the emergence of the two global brands that dominate entertainment for the next 20 years. Okay, so I'm a shareholder in both— Disney and Netflix. Yep. Should I just keep on holding? Yes. Because this would. has me nervous about Netflix. I I, I think it would be a, a huge and I'll, I'll kick it to Emily here. I, I think it would be a huge mistake to sell Netflix at this point. In fact, you know, given where where the stock has been and where it is now, if you had no uh, if you had no position in Netflix now, I. would seriously consider opening one. Yeah, I would definitely not say to sell your Netflix now. I would just say I don't think it's going to be completely easy sailing. There's a lot of competition now for content. There's a lot of competition for brands. And Netflix is still really competitively positioned. But when you look at not just Disney Plus or including ESPN and Hulu, but when you look at HBO Go and you look at you know typical cable channels that are now launching their own streaming services, the battle for content is bigger now than it ever was. And Netflix is going to need to compete in terms of compelling content to retain what they have today. I think they will, but I don't think it's going to be a smooth process. Okay, as we wrap this up, any other winners or losers from Disney Plus? I think Roku. I'll I'll go with Roku on this because I believe that Roku does a very good job of aggregating content and making it very easy. So I think Disney Plus has accelerated the move to uh, cut your cord. You know, in a world where there is Disney Plus, you know, you will see more cord cutters because we now have. Emily's point is a really good one. We now have more investment in content than there ever has been before, and you can buy it directly. And Roku is a great aggregation platform for that. Whether you're just using, you know, your phone, your laptop, or your smart TV, Roku's a winner here. So Disney Plus might not be a Netflix killer, but could be a cable killer. Yes. I agree. Emily, in hidden yeah. winners? <laughs> Cable, Cable's already been dead to me for a while now. <laughs> uh, I actually I got a hidden loser for you. I think Amazon is slowly losing its its competitive mm. positioning in the video space. They've always had kind of one foot in, one foot out. And it was great when they had all the capital to put behind their business. And, you know, they were competing on a smaller level with Netflix. Now it feels like to me, Wow, there's just so much content out there. They have a couple of good shows. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I will plug that here. It's a great great show. show. If you haven't seen it, definitely go watch it on Amazon Prime. But with the exception of a few shows like that, it does seem like every day as Mm. time passes, content comes out, they're losing a little bit of ground. Well, before we get to our next story, I want to say thanks to NetSuite. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem that growing businesses have, the thing that keeps them from knowing their numbers is this hodgepodge of business systems. You've got a system for accounting. You've got another one for sales. You've got another for inventory. What a mess! And so inefficient, taking up too much time and too many resources. And that is where NetSuite by Oracle comes in. It's the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. 
giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches. How does that sound, y'all? Sounds great. Yeah, sounds Where like do we I sign up? Yes. Well, we love saving time and money, and we love saving unneeded headaches. And you do that, and they do that, by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com fool. That's netsuite.com fool to download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, netsuite.com fool. And let's move on to a story that we mentioned in the open. Google will begin offering checking accounts next year, according to Wall Street Journal reports. The accounts will be run by Citigroup, I've heard of them, and a credit union at Stanford University. So, kind of an interesting partnership there. What do we think about Google checking accounts, Emily? I'm actually a little sad the way the media has run with this title, because labeling it a Google checking account is a great way to get clicks, but not entirely representative of what it seems like the plan is. And granted, this is early stage rumors, so I'm sure the rumor will change as time goes on. But they're planning on, well, they are planning on launching a checking account with Citigroup and the help of this local credit union, it's not going to be branded under Google's name. At least, that's what the rumors say. So, was that misleading what I just did there? Uh, I mean, it's not inaccurate, but it does make it seem like you're going to be logging into your Google checking account when, in actuality, in a very similar way, for instance, Uber. When they teamed up with Barclays to launch the Uber card, you weren't going to Uber's platform to check your balance and pay. You were going to Barclays. It seems like it's going to be a similar thing, where it's actually Citigroup that's holding the account. It's just labeled with Google's name. I think where they're going with this might be just integrating the people who have those accounts deeper into that Google ecosystem, making the process of paying more seamless when you're using Google or using Google platforms. So, I think that's probably where they're headed with it. I'm not terribly surprised to see this move. We've seen these tech giants try to get into the the finance space really strongly over the past few, I would say years even. So, it's not terribly surprising. We just really need more regulatory guidance to kind of say, hey, where do we draw the lines with companies like Google or Facebook, right? At what point are they just doing a little too much? Okay, so if I redo the read, I'll say Google will begin putting its name on checking accounts next year. Is that better? That, That it sounds to me like it is written as today, the more accurate statement. Tim, what do you think? Well, I wonder where Android Android Pay fits in all this because this is, you know, this isn't the first time that Google has been in the payments business or or thinking about being in the payments business, let's say that. So, you know, how does this fit? I, I do think ultimately this is this is Google saying, like, look, we want to make it easy for you to put money, you know, into the platform and use your money on Google services in the Google Cloud with you know books or movies or or music what have you. Um, ultimately, I, I don't see this as a very altruistic move. I'm not sure what the benefit is. You know, I didn't really read that into the story. And and frankly, I, I think Emily's right. You know, this has been happening so much. Like, how different is this from Libra? You know, like Facebook wanted to have its own currency. Google wants to you know. Give people more access to checking accounts. The tech business wants more of your money, and also wants you to trust. Wants us to trust it with our with our money. I have some hesitancy about this, Mac. 
And we also got news. You mentioned Facebook, Tim. We got news this week that Facebook Pay is launching on Facebook's um, core platform and their Messenger app. And later, it will be available on Instagram and WhatsApp. So, Facebook Pay, does that get you excited at all? It makes me a little nervous. I mean, I and 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 I'll tell you the reason it makes me makes me a little nervous. Um, it, two reasons, and then and I, and I'll give you a good reason. The two the, the two reasons I'm nervous about it is, we just got through having hearings about Libra, and and you know this was Facebook's try at, at cryptocurrency, and now we're going you know another route with another payments platform. You know where where does this end, and what is Facebook's strategy really? And then how, what else does you know what else are we going to need to see from regulators to to offer some guidance on this? Now the good thing is there's a lot of payments that come through mobile devices, and so that does make sense. So strategically for the company, probably makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm actually not as concerned, I think, as Tim. There, it it feels like to me that the vast majority of companies you use to send payments aren't doing enough in the way of security mm. or privacy. So to me, and I, I don't know if it's a generational thing, I expect the worst at this point. And so, I, I, in no way am I gonna like go out of my way, I guess, to use Facebook Pay. But I will say, if they're integrating it, like you mentioned, into Instagram and WhatsApp, that's a very, very strong value proposition. As somebody who uses WhatsApp to communicate with all my friends from college, my family members, it would make my life a million times easier to be able to send money to them over WhatsApp. I, if that ends up happening, I will likely end up using it. I will just keep a much closer look at my bank statements as a result. Fair enough. Now, you say you expect the worst. and I, So, I've got to ask you, have you heard this formula that happiness equals reality? Divided by expectations. Oh, that's a great formula. Well, do, I, do, do you do you subscribe to that? I, I do subscribe to that. Low expectations have done me well in life. Okay, but but I'm going to push back a little because shouldn't we all have expectations of each other? Like you know, basic very very kindness. low expect. Oh, okay. So I mean, that, that's what I struggle with. I mean, for a while, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Happiness equals reality yeah. divided by expectations. But the more you think about it, like, wait a minute. We should be able to expect something of each other, right? Yeah. Well, well, if you want to be unhappy, kindness, courtesy. I mean, do you really want to have like zero to low expectations from uh, other Facebook? People? Yes. <laughs> okay. So when Facebook, you know, in the case of Facebook, you like that formula. Okay. Well, let's move on to Burger King doubling down on plant based burgers. In August, Burger King started selling the Impossible Whopper throughout the U.S. And as you may have heard, that was a big hit. Apparently, there is plenty of room for meatless burgers. So now Burger King is launching a plant based Rebel Whopper. Yes, Rebel Whopper across Europe. And Burger King will also test more plant based burgers in the US. Emily Flippin, you follow this industry. What do you think? I think that I'm afraid to use the term that I want to use in front of Tim. And that's flexitarian. I know it's a trigger word for Tim. Yes, I'm triggered. I'm triggered right now, Mac. <laughs> and, and explain what a flexitarian is. Yes, a flexitarian is. is somebody who has not gone full vegetarian, but is just trying to reduce meat consumption in their life. And I think this move by Burger King is just a testament to the fact that, uh, at least at, for the time being, there seem to be a lot of people who are either very interested in trying the Impossible Burger, and I'm sure that's a large part of that business, especially the business that they saw over the last quarter as people tried the Impossible Whopper. But I do think there's an increasing number of people that are just generally trying to eat less meat. And so the more options you provide them, whether that be like kids' menus, like they're adding the Impossible Whopper to the kids' menu, adding an Impossible Whopper cheeseburger, cheese Whopper, and spreading it across Europe. Those are the sorts of things that, that play upon this flexitarian trend. Tim, what do you think? 
I mean, it, it is a trigger word for me. Emily's right. <laughs> I, 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 I have a hard time understanding the flexitarian market, and that's why it's a trigger word for me. I think flexitarians have a hard time understanding the flexitarian market themselves. Fair <laughs> enough. But I, I like this a lot. The reason I like it a lot is it makes me wonder where... Uh, in Impossible Foods is on the spectrum of getting public because I do think there's, you know, the more you can do to introduce this, uh, you know, option to to different markets, different populations, and do it in a very clear and and simple way. So and and one of the best things, I mean, to me, this very much mirrors Tesla, right? So Tesla starts with the Roadster, you know, get that niche market, own it, and then start coming down. This feels the same way. We're like plant-based meat. Like, what's where is the market where we get the least objections? If we can make a plant-based burger taste like something that is delicious, that is bad for you, but not really. And then we can go from there. We can really start seeding this market in a big way. I, I like the move a lot. I think it's good for Beyond Meat, actually. Uh, so I'm, I'm more interested in this space than I was about two months ago. Okay, let's talk about that because you mentioned Beyond Meat. So Impossible Foods is private. Yep. Um, and they've said recently no IPO in the near future. So we don't know um, when or if they may go public. Um, Beyond Meat has just had an incredibly volatile run. Oh, yeah. So let, let's roll the tape here. They they go public in May. They hit an IP, they hit a high of north of 230 bucks this summer. And then they come crashing down. They now trade somewhere around $77. So what does Beyond Meat tell us potentially about impossible foods? Or are they two very different animals? I think they're two very different animals. Or it- plant-based. Yes. <laughs> yes, they're two very different plants in in the sense that um, right now Impossible Foods is is private, uh, but you know, and and, and maybe uh, you know if if uh, if if Beyond Meat is the uh, is the sugar cane of uh, of the market. I don't know. I I, I might be. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know my my plants very well, but the the sugar cane versus the rice, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not entirely, entirely sure here. So impossible foods, more nutritious. You see that as having more long term kind of value. I, I'm I'm not entirely sure, but what I like about it is that where I meant these two things are different is the strategy has been very different. You know, Beyond Meat came out and went straight to. Uh, the grocery store, and then has found its way into restaurants. Impossible Foods was coming out through the restaurants and has found its way into the grocery store. So they've converged. And I think to the degree that these things continue to converge, uh, it's it's good for the market. It's good for the overall market. And it does seed ground for a good IPO for Impossible Foods, where I think Beyond Meat was coming out and just coming out amidst hysteria. And so the pricing was completely out of whack. Yeah, I mean, I eat a lot of rice and sugar, so I'm going to have a hard time choosing between the two. No, I'm joking. I, I do think that both of them are playing upon the same trends. I agree with Tim. Their strategies have been really different. I'll just add, Impossible Foods is a really well-capitalized company right now. They've gone to the private market a lot to raise money. They don't need to IPO anytime soon, yep. based off what we know right now. That doesn't yep. seem like an IPO is something that they're really particularly looking into, which I think is good, because the pressure that we've seen on Beyond Meats in the market, it's nice to be a private company as long as possible, because you can avoid people like us talking about you on air. And bringing it back to Burger King, Burger King trades under Restaurant Brands International, yep. um, which also owns Tim Hortons and Popeyes. So when you look at Burger King doubling down on these plant-based burgers, what does it make you think about the stock? What it makes me think about Restaurant Brands International is that the more success 
on a concept level that Burger King has with the with the uh, Impossible Whopper, I think you start to see you know opportunities for this um, more broadly in a in a Tim Hortons and maybe even a Popeyes. I'm I'm not entirely sure, but I think this becomes a testing ground for how plant-based meat works in other concepts and how transportable it can be. Uh, now we we don't really know you know what's what's going to happen here, but because Restaurant Brands is a holding company, they do have the wherewithal to take some data that they get from you know this Burger King experiment and bring it to other brands. That's a great potential move. It's very different from having say like a McDonald's, which has a beyond. What is it? Beyond Meat, Big Mac. I'm not even sure what they sell for for you know the. I don't think anything. The, I mean, they, they tested some stuff in Canada. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. But yes. unfortunately, McDonald's has just been slow to kind of come into the, the fake meat game. And it's because yeah. their their franchise model, it's hard to get everybody on board. Right. And, and so that's a really good point. So to your point about Restaurant Brands International, because they have some control over the entire value chain, they can test this, they can get data, they can roll it out slowly, they can stage it, and, and maybe make a pretty interesting niche play in this market before a big brand like McDonald's can get in. Yeah, I think I think Burger King is kind of saving itself here. Or should, or should I say Restaurant Brands International is reviving life into Burger King because they have been so quick to take up the fake meat game whereas companies like McDonald's have just been really really slow and McDonald's slow not just in the fake meat game but the chicken sandwich game. Can we talk about that? McDonald's has just not done anything to compete with the craziness that is Chick-fil-A and Popeyes. It's kind of sad to see them be so unresponsive to these emerging trends. Okay, well let's wrap up with the desert island question. You're on a desert island. You've got 5 years and you've really got a, not a whole lot to do. Because, well, you're on a desert island. So you're looking at these stocks and you've got to own one of them for the next five years Disney, Netflix, Alphabet, the parent company of Google. Um, let's throw Facebook in there and Restaurant Brands International. Which one are you going with? I'm going with Netflix because I think the pricing right now has been depressed over the past year. And I love Netflix over the very long term, especially the next five years. I think Disney Plus coming into the market validates the Netflix strategy. And and we're gonna see this stock recover in a big way over the you, next five you years. You are so tough after one day. I mean, am I gonna have to read you that New York Times story again about Disney World and their opening day? You can read it to me again. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm not sure that's gonna change my take here, Mac. But you can read it again all you like, Emily. I feel like I had no idea there was so much content associated with Star Wars, and I could probably spend a lifetime just getting up to oh my on gosh. that. So I'll go with Disney just because maybe I need to buy that now. I mean, the subscription service. I like that this is kind of your introduction to Star Wars and the world of Star Wars content. I just didn't didn't know that it warranted, out of five buttons on the Disney Plus homepage, that it warrants its own button. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean, my I mean, how, how 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 could it not? I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Disney paid what four point two billion dollars for Lucasfilm. I mean, this is this is big, yeah, big stuff. Yeah, Lucasfilm yeah. up there, though, right? They, they don't only do Star Wars. But what is Lucasfilm known for? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could you could say Indiana Jones, and don't get me wrong, I love myself some Indiana Jones, but. You know what Lucasfilm is known for is Star Wars. Yeah. Well, this is a generational thing because I was actually, and I understand why you would put Marvel ahead of Star Wars, especially given all of the recent movies. Sure. But there's a part of me is like, shouldn't Star Wars come ahead of Marvel? Yeah. I mean, Disney's got to come first, and right. then after that, I think it's kind of debatable. And National Geographic, love me some National Geographic. That's got to come last. Yeah. But uh, there's we can no all doubt agree about on that. one thing here, and that's it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, we will see. It's going to be interesting. 
Um, Tim and Emily, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having Thanks for having us. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.